This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and good evening. Tonight, we're going to feature a show never heard before here on Theater of the Mind. It's the series called Hermit's Cave. And I want to apologize to the listener who suggested I try to find some of the episodes. I simply can't find the original email that was sent to me. So please let me know your identity. I I always like to publicly thank those who kind of go out of their way to make a suggestion. But I remember he wrote that the program was scary, and he loved the laugh that you'll all hear very soon. Okay, Hermit's Cave. It was a syndicated radio horror series which aired from 1930 to 1944. And the show was originally broadcast from WJRAM in Detroit, Michigan, but later moved to KMPCAM in Los Angeles, California, with William Conrad as producer. Over 800 episodes were produced, but less than 40 are still available. The Hermit's Cave was narrated by the character, the Hermit, with a majority of episodes beginning with the following dialogue. Ghost stories, weird stories, and murders, too. The Hermit knows them all. Turn out your lights. Turn them out. Ah, have you heard the story of, and then whatever you want to say, then listen while the hermit tells you the story. Throughout the years, the voice of the hermit was provided by various actors, beginning with John Kent and later Charles Penman, Toby Gilmer, uh, clock writer, and Mel Johnson and John Denner. Well, when I auditioned the show, I was really impressed with the excellent sound effects. The fight scene was particularly noteworthy. I just wonder what they were punching, sides of beef? Like in Rocky? I don't know. But a lot of energy was expended, that is for sure. And the hermit's laugh. Wait do you hear that? It is kind of creepy. So creeping out of the mouth of a shambled cave is the old hermit warning the faint of heart not to listen. Well, let's tune in for the episode Reflected Image, first aired in 1940. The Mummers in the Little Theater of the Air. Thank <laughs> you. 
you gotta wait. I can't go a step farther. Gotta keep going. Oh, this heat. This desert heat. I can't go on. Listen, Taylor. We keep going. We're bound to strike civilization before long. Don't be such a devil, Dan. I gotta rest. All right. For a few minutes, then. <sighs> desert. Desert. I hate it. Walking for hours. Sun beating down. Uh, stop it, Taylor. You can't go on that way. If you do, you'll go loco. Come on. Let me have a drink of water. Uh, we should wait till the sun goes down. Do us more good, then. You are the devil. Holding out on water. My tongue's like a bale of cotton. All right. You think I'm a devil? Hold out and out. There isn't any more water. No more water? I drained the last one we took that drink four or five hours ago. I don't believe it. Let me have a bottle. Here. No water. No more water. No more water. Harrison, do no good to get panicky. Only make your thirst worse. Crying out like that. Just another day would bring us into a settlement. Lost. Our bones will bleach white here on the desert. Sit back and rest. It's getting cooler now. Dan, look. Look over there, atop that rise of sand. I'm looking. Do you see her standing there? I see the dead stump of a tree. So do you. I see her. A beautiful woman. The breeze blow on her dress. So cool-like. And Dan, she's waving to us, beckoning us to come on. Taylor, where are you going? Come back here. Wait. I'm coming. I see you. Don't go away. I'll get up. Just wait, that's all. Wait. Follow me. I'll take you to our cabin. Cabin? Water. There's a well near the cabin. Follow me. Dan, she's real. She's telling us to follow her. Dan, hurry. Follow me. Follow me to the cabin. All the water that you want to drink. Follow me. Dan. Dan. Taylor, Taylor, you've got to get a hold of yourself. I talked to her. There was a woman here. It was no dead tree. She said to follow her. That way. East, she said, to the cabin and water. Dan, you gotta believe. You gotta try it. Help me up, Dan. Oh, Haley, you're seeing things. No, you gotta try. She was here. And she said to follow her. I can't believe you saw anyone. It's worth trying, isn't it, Dan? I talked to her. She said to walk this way. Come on. Uh, it's getting too dark to see, Taylor. We ought to... Oh, you're going to try. Well... Come on. Where's the woman now? She went ahead. I saw her move this way. Hello? Hello? See? No one answers. You didn't see any woman. Well, we've got to keep walking this way, Dan. Oh, it's crazy. Cabin. Water. The woman said this way. There wasn't any woman. You've gone off your nut, Taylor. 
If you don't stop this crazy stuff, I'm going to leave here in the morning. Strike out for myself. Look. Look. Do you see? By all that's good. A light. I told you. Cabin water, just as a woman said. You must have seen a woman, Taylor. I didn't believe. Come on, Dan, hurry. We've struck real luck. Luck and water. Hello. Hello. We're coming. Hello. No one answers. It ain't a light in a cabin, Taylor. It's a star we see. No. It ain't no star. It's a light in a cabin too big for a star. It is pretty big, Taylor. You're right. I can see the shack now. Sure. Come on. The cabin door is open. They've heard us. The woman is waiting for us. Hooray. Water. Water. <laughs> Take it easy, partner. Don't drink too fast or too much at first. That's enough, Taylor, for now. Where's your outfit, Stanley? Lost it three days ago. You ain't packing any guns? No, we haven't any. Then you're welcome to stay the night. It was mighty nice of your wife to tell us we were welcome here. What's that, stranger? Your wife. Or the woman that told us to follow her here to the cabin and water. They don't say me what you mean. Funny thing. I could drink forever, but it don't seem to quench my thirst. Let me take the cup now. Both of you better take it easy. Like you said, too much ain't good all of a sudden. Strangers, what are you doing here in the desert? A storm overtook us four or five days ago. We didn't even have time to unpack the animals. And when the storm was over, horses, outfit, everything gone. Yes, he what was this about you seeing a woman who directed you here to my cabin? Uh, Taylor here. He thought he saw a woman waving to him. A woman who said there was a cabin and a well of water near. But I figured all the time he was seeing things. Sort of a reflected image on the desert sand. Yeah. Folks drifting into insanity are always seeing things in the desert. Sure. I know it. Now, how far away from the nearest settlement? This settlement is about 35 miles due east of here. Not as far as I thought. We can start out in the morning. Sure. I'll give you directions. Fine, partner. Fine. You live here all alone? Yep. My name is Fred Holker. Well, uh, glad to meet you. I'm Dan Torrance. My partner, Taylor Wiley. You're welcome for the night. I'll wrestle up some grub. But after eating... I'll tell you a desert story that'll put you as seeing a woman on the desert in the small class as stories go. Yes. I'll tell you a real desert story, if you want to listen. This story will tell you what horrible things a desert can do to folks. It was about three years ago that me and my partner got together all our possessions. We sold them for all the profit we could get. Then bought stuff to start out on a prospecting trip. For a while, we didn't strike enough gold to make expenses. Then one morning, Ab and me made a walloping strike and hightailed it to town with our samples. (laughs) 
What's all the shooting about, boy? Me and that just come from the SCN office. That's what. Go on. What's the news? We stuck it, boys. We stuck it rich. Do you hear that? All across the air, have struck it. I'll see we stuck it. No more grubbing for us. We're in the money, boys. We're in. Yep. We was rich. The first thing I did was to send back to the settlement for my girl to come out to me. Ab helped me get ready for her. We built this here cabin. Of course, it's no mansion, but the side better than most desert chapters. Well, Lila came out, and we was married in Altoro, and then came back here to the cabin. Lila, she brought things along to pretty up the place. Curtains and such. We was real happy. Ab, Lila, and me. And the gold was still coming in. Night times, Lila and me would make plans as to how we were going to the big cities and, and live like king and queen. And then one morning, I, I comes into the cabin. Lila was sitting in that chair where you are sitting now, stranger. And Ab was standing there by the table. I could sense right away that something was up. I says, supper on, Lila? No. Time for grub, ain't it? Maybe so. Go on, Lila. Tell him. Tell me what? Lila don't want to stay here with you anymore, Fred. Uh, Rick and Lila's able to talk for herself, Ab. What's this Ab is telling me, Lila? Ab's got it right, Fred. I hate it out here. And you won't give up and say we got enough to move on. Well, now... Let me do the talking. I can't stand it here in the desert. Not any longer. I'll go crazy if I have to be here another day. But I thought... Go on, tell him all of it, Lila. It ain't only the desert you don't like. Him. Lila's in love with me. Is this true? Lila, tell me. Is it the truth what I've seen? Yes. Well, Ab, you desert rat. I'll break every bone in your body. I'll take it easy. You won't touch me so long as I got the draw on you. Fight like a man, you yellow livid skunk. Put down that gun and fight like a man. Yeah, don't listen to him. Don't you lay a hand on Ab, Fred. I ain't afraid to fight him. There's my gun on the table. Now, come on ahead. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never walk out of here. You're poison like a snake. Fight this rat with one arm. Did you? No, Fred. No, no. No, no. no. I give up. No. Ab. Ab, speak to me. You killed him. You killed Ab. You can't kill a skunk like him. He's not breathing. 
happened in this cabin. You're going to do just what I tell you to do. And no more. <laughs> Three men on the desert in an old cabin. Two listen intently as an old man tells them a strange story of murder. The woman who beckoned them to the cabin that night. Where is she? He? The hermit will tell you before the night is done. <laughs> now, the hermit again. Fred Holcroft continues to narrate his strange desert story to the two men who were led to his cabin by a woman. Listen. <laughs> well, she, we buried Ab that night. What do you mean, we? Lila and me. The woman who had betrayed me. I made her handle the shovel. I can remember as well as if it were today. She was sobbing and carrying on. But I kept her shoveling. Keep shoveling. Cover up the man you love. Make him a good deep grave. Don't look to me for mercy. Keep digging. You love me once, man. You gotta have mercy. I don't recollect you have no mercy for me. I hope he can still feel things while he's there in the sand. Yeah. I hope the sand chokes him. Burns out his eyes. Get up on your feet. He's buried deep enough now. You listen to what I'm telling you. If anybody comes this way, we don't know what happened to Abby. You hear? We don't know nothing. I can tell by the look in your eyes that you figure I was mighty cruel to Lila. But you got to remember, she had played me dirt. And what's more, she had tried to murder me to save that skunk of a man. I couldn't forget that. I didn't forget it. Every hour, I made her suffer for her sins. I made her work the mine with me. Made her stand out in the blinding storms, in the heat of the sun, till her skin was burned black and her eyes all puffed and faded out, till the beauty was gone forever. 
Well, as for me, I was sorting away the gold. Burying it right underneath his cabin floor. Fighting my time. And waiting till I had enough gold to buy whatever I wanted from his life. Then, Lila, she took down with a fever. One night when the moon was riding high, and the sky bright as daylight on the desert sands, she got up from her bed. I tried to stop her. Don't touch me. I'm going away. You're sick, Lila. You can't leave the cabin. I'm going to Ab. To Ab, is it? Ain't you suffering enough for your sins? You still got to mention his name? Let go of me, Fred. I've got to find Ab. Go then. Never come back to this cabin. Never come back. <laughs> I stood at the door of this cabin watching her stagger away in the moonlight night. I never searched for her body. Her bones are bleached white by now from the sun. As for me, well, I always figured on moving on. But the sun and the desert, the scorching sands and the wild winds blowing, all of it Sort of got into my blood. And I've stayed on here, hoarding my gold. But one of these days, I'll be pulling out for the city. And the lights, the music, all the rich things money can buy. I don't understand it. Why are you telling all this to us, two strangers? How do you know we won't report you as a murderer? I don't likely know why I'm talking. Unless it's that the loneliness in the desert has got me. You let the woman wander off into the desert to die? I told you just as it happened. Don't you understand, stranger? That woman didn't die. It was her we saw tonight. Her that beckoned us into this cabin. She never died at all. Haley, you never saw any woman. You saw the dead stump of a tree. You thought it was someone moving. She talked to me, I tell you. What is it? <laughs> Don't you know? It's her. Look. Look out the window. Lila. That's the woman who beckoned to Dan and me. She's standing out there at the window. No. She died, I told you. I never died, Fred. Never died. I've come for you. Don't let her in this cabin. Look. She walked right through the door. It can't be her. Look closely, Fred. Come to finish up what I should have done years ago. Stop it. Don't let it do that, damn I've got it now, Fred. This time I'll do more than wing you. She, she got me. Got me. Grab him, Taylor. Oh, look at the blood. Help her. I'm dying. Uh, he's done for. And the woman. She's disappeared through that door just like she came in. She's gone. And you and I, Taylor, we're going to be accused of this murder. We're telling the story straight, mister. You've got to go out there and get his party. And you've got to believe it, just as we told you. The woman killed him and vanished. 
We're not guilty. Sit down, stranger. Take it easy. What did you say the old guy's name was? Fred Holcroft, they told us. Old Fred, eh? Who struck it rich or thought he did? That's him. He's lying there in the cabin now with a bullet through his heart. <laughs> I guess you two were really touched by the sun. You gotta go out to the cabin with us and see for yourself. Listen, stranger. You ain't gonna get anybody in Artura to go out to that desert shack to look for the body of Fred Holcroft. What do you mean? We mean there ain't no sense in looking for the body of him that's been dead for 20 years. I don't get it. Fred Holcroft's been dead for 19 or 20 years. I went out there at the time, recollected well. I was in the party that went out there, too. Sure. Found his body and that of his wife's, both stretched out on the floor of the cabin. Died of the fever, I reckon. Why, there ain't any cabin out there anymore. Blowed away long ago by the wind. Yes, sirree. You two have really been seeing things. But you ain't the first ones that have come out of the desert are telling about seeing a woman standing out there in the sands or beckoning them to the cabin in a water hole. Just a few months ago, a guy comes in here babbling about a woman who led him to a water hole. But ain't none of them ever been so touched before that they saw the old man or the cabin. Or had a vision of a murder. Did anyone ever find old Hall across gold? Nope, nor his partner neither. Some folks reckoned he left Fred and his wife there to die and took the gold for himself. Listen, then. It may be we saw a vision. But you come out there with us to the spot where the cabin did stand. Maybe we can prove to you that the story we heard last night was true. Here's where we stopped. But you can see there ain't any cabin. You said the gold was buried underneath the cabin floor. That would be about here. All right, for the heck of it, let's start digging. Come on. Gold. By cracky gold. Just as we told you. Just as he told it to us. Visions, huh? Visions on a desert. But it was more than our being touched by the sun. We saw spirits of the dead. We saw them and heard them. And we've found the gold that brought about evil and murder. of the desert, and yet it was not of the mind alone, but rather a ghostly vision of the past, spirits that could not rest in their graves of sand, ghostly visions returning to earth to walk the desert on moonlight nights, to speak to the living, to relate over and over the stories of their sin and murder. Yes, turn on your light. Turn them on. <laughs> I'll be back. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> All characters, places, and occurrences mentioned in the Hermit's Cave are fictitious and similarity to persons, places, or occurrences is purely accidental.
Stay tuned for Martin and Lewis next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. You know, from 1950 to 1956, the team of Martin and Lewis were the number one box office earners and America's favorite entertainers. A new memoir from Jerry Lewis details how a beloved 10-year partnership was destroyed. It's called Dean and Me, A Love Story. Details the life behind the scenes of 16 films and numerous television and club shows. Sounds like a good read. Uh, Basically, it chronicles the tumultuous relationship between two giants of American entertainment. Their success brought money and fame, but a host of new troubles, too, from clashes brought on by big egos and diverging priorities. By the end of their run together, Martin and Lewis weren't even speaking to one another. But right now, let's go back to 1949 and listen in on what was happening on the radio with the fame duo. The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, the Martin and Lewis Show, featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Now we find Dean and Jerry in their hotel room preparing to go to their nightclub. The boys have made a strenuous series of personal appearances. Jerry especially is all tired out. Gee, Dean, I sure wish we didn't have to go to the club tonight. I'd rather just stay here in a room and read a book or listen to our Martin and Lewis program being released at a more inconvenient time. (laughs) Jerry, you don't seem to have much pep in it. I think you need some proper exercise, Jerry, maybe a bodybuilding course. What'd you say? I said, wouldn't you like to take a course in bodybuilding? Sure. If I could learn to build one like Ava Gardner. (laughs) Jerry, I'm trying to give you advice. Can't you be serious once? Must you always play the buffoon? Buffoon? (laughs) What do you mean, buffoon? I don't play a buffoon. I play the trumpet. Jerry! I used to play the trumpet back home at the Elks Club every Saturday night. Jerry, will you please stop... Dean, it's times like these that make me think you should have kept your nose and had the rest of you removed. (laughs) Jerry, now, how can you talk to me like that? You know, it hurts me when you say things about my physical appearance. I'm sorry, Dean, I didn't mean it. As a matter of fact, I was just going to say how good you look in that suit. Thanks, Jerry. Of course, clothes make the man. After all, what would a man be without clothes? Naked. Come on, get your coat and let's go All right I wonder if I need my raincoat Wait a minute, I'll pull up the window shade and see what the weather is like Not bad, just a little drizzle I think (laughs) What's the matter? Look across the court and I window there See, there's a hand with a gun in it Yeah, and it's aimed right at the guy's back (laughs) Oh, he did it Look, they pulled down the shade, Jerry. This is awful. Call the manager. Yeah, we ought to insist on another room immediately. <laughs> no, we've got to report the murder. Why don't we call the police? The managers like to know these things first. Oh, I see. That gives them a chance to move the body to another hotel. <laughs> Look, if you're not going to call, I'll do it. Don't get excited, Dean. Keep calm. 
The main thing is keep calm. Quiet, Jerry. Relax. Get your mind off of it. Think of a pretty girl. You know, that must be room 607 across from us. They don't seem to answer. Come on, Jerry. Let's go down to the manager's office. Jerry? Jerry, what's that strange look on your face? Ah, Dean, you spoiled everything. I was just thinking of a pretty girl, and I almost had a friend for you. (laughs) Have you forgotten that we've got to report a murder? Now, let's go to the elevator. Gee, these thick hotel carpets are noisy. (laughs) Now, look, Jerry, don't open your mouth about this murder until we see the manager. Anyone might be the guilty party, you know. Going down. Okay. <laughs> Lovely day. Yeah. Jean, you think she did it? <laughs> oh, don't be silly. I'll find out. I'll question her. Hey, sister, see anything suspicious in the last few minutes? What do you mean? Any dead people get on the elevator? <laughs> oh, Jerry, lay up. I- I'm sorry, miss. Uh, did he frighten you? Oh, that kind of talk doesn't scare me. I once found two bodies. Well, you certainly kept the right one. Name Lobby. Now, look, there's the manager's office, Jerry. Come on, hurry, hurry. Gee, our feet make the same noise on a tile floor that they do on a carpet. <laughs> well, there's the manager in there. Now, let's not scare him. Break it gently. Uh, hello, Mr. Silvernail. Well, how do you do, gentlemen? My, you both look upset. Got a complaint? Yes, you gave us a room overlooking a murder. <laughs> what are you talking about? We saw someone get murdered. Yeah, and we think it's room 607. Oh, a couple of peeping toms. <laughs> I am not. I only looked through a keyhole once in my life and never did it again. Why not? Someone stuck a key in my eye and tried to open my head. <laughs> What about you, Martin? Don't tell me you never looked through a keyhole. Absolutely not. I'm a transom man. <laughs> Look, Mr. Silvernail, we're wasting time. The murderer will escape. Look, I know you boys are great jokesters, but let's not kid about a thing like that. But the man in 607 was killed, and we know it. Mr. Milford lives in room 607. He's just not the type of person who gets murdered. <laughs> Call room 607 on a phone, and if a man answers... Brother, have you got long distance? (laughs) Listen, I don't have time for this nonsense. I'm a busy man. Good day. Good day. Good day. (laughs) Ah, come on, Jerry. No use talking to him. You'll be sorry. Next time we see a man get murdered here, we won't tell you, and he'll just lay there running up a big bill. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't argue, Jay. We'll just have to call the police. That's what we should have done first. Here, I'll use this phone in the lobby. Hello, operator. I want to report a murder to the police. Police Department, homicide, Sergeant Douglas. Listen, Sergeant, my name is Jerry Lewis. I said something Listen, Sergeant uh, I want to report a murder 
Gosh, I remember when I used to have to tell jokes to get laughed. <laughs> Sergeant, there's been a murder. <laughs> oh, this is no use. <laughs> See, if a murder does that, just think of the laugh we could get with a massacre. <laughs> hey, Jerry, look who's walking across the lobby. Why, it's the famous reporter, Emma Blurb. Say, Lee, she could help us. She must know all the police reporters. Oh, that's right. Uh, Miss Blurb. Well, Jerry Lewis Dean, Martin. <laughs> Miss Blurb, we've got to talk to you. All of you boys got a scoop. Someone has been murdered. All a double scoop. Miss Blurb. We don't know who the victim is, but uh, we certainly saw him murdered. Murdered in cold blood. We didn't take the temperature. <laughs> uh, we've got to get the police over here, but they won't listen to us. We thought perhaps you could call a police reporter and... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't report murders unless the victims are being sued for divorce. <laughs> you mean you won't help us? Well, perhaps I will. If I'm nice to you, maybe someday if you're having a baby, you'll tell me first. If I'm ever having a baby, I think I should tell my wife first. <laughs> Jerry Lewis, you're pulling my leg, and I think you're very... Miss <laughs> Blurp, what about the murder? Oh, yes, murder. <laughs> I have one thing to say to all murders. Surely you know that you're not helping the box office any by killing people. <laughs> if you must kill somebody, at least try and limit it to people who buy popcorn. <laughs> and now, good... Uh, oh, yes, good night. <laughs> Well, that's a lot of help she gave us. Come on, Jerry, let's get to the police. Okay, Dean, but before we go, will you sing a song? It'll add to the suspense. <laughs> but how can I sing here in the hotel lobby? Easy. There's a potted orchestra behind those plans. <laughs> well, okay, come on, stand by for telling. <laughs> Sunshine follows you Everywhere you go The skies are always blue Children love you They seem to know You bring roses Out of the snow The whole world says hello They seem to know You bring roses Out of the snow The whole world says hello
police station. Jerry, maybe we'd better forget about the whole thing. Forget that we've seen a murder committed? Dean, what are you saying? I couldn't forget the whole thing. What would my scoutmaster say? <laughs> Jerry, are you still a Boy Scout? Yes, and don't forget, a Boy Scout is loyal. A Boy Scout is truthful. A Boy Scout is trustworthy. And next week, I'm joining the Girl Scouts. <laughs> joining the Girl Scouts? Why? A Boy Scout also likes to have fun. <laughs> Well, Jerry, we still have quite a problem on our hands. You know, if nobody will believe we saw a murder, what are we going to do? We got to get to the police station. Oh, this being in a police station makes me kind of nervous. Come on, Jerry, let's talk to the desk sergeant. I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, hello. Uh, find a stray dog? No, this is my partner, Jerry Lord. <laughs> I suppose it's all right, then. Sure it's all right. I got a license. <laughs> Look, Mr. Policeman, we just saw a murder committed. Yeah, over at the Plaza Hotel, and it was terrible. Blood all over the place, hollering and screaming. Oh, it was terrible, wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah, it was murder. <laughs> Look, I know all about you guys. They called me from the hotel. You're just troublemakers, and I don't want to hear anything. Oh, troublemakers? Yeah. Hey, Charlie, throw these troublemakers out. Okay, Joy boys. Here we go. Up, Daisy. Hey, hold on there. You... <laughs> well, that was a bright idea. Now what will we do? I know. Let's go to the newspapers. They've got to listen to us. Yeah, those newspaper guys are always very nice. You know that, Jerry? They've got a lot of influence, too. Hey, Jerry, do you know Walter Winchell? You mean the head of the FBI? <laughs> Jerry, do we know any reporters? No, but we're standing right in front of a newspaper office now. Let's go in. Come on, Dean. Follow me down this corridor. I've been here before. I'll find someone who'll believe our murder story. I'm right behind you, Jerry. Hey, this is quite a big newspaper office at that. Yeah. Look in this door here. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Sugar is sweet. And so are... Darn, I just can't seem to get it to rhyme. Well, who was that? Nick Kenny. <laughs> hey, look, Jerry, there's another door. Let's look and see who's working in there. Sure. Let's see who's in there. Oh, excuse us, Mr. Pegler. <laughs> Oh, look, Dean. There's the editor's office. He's the one we want. Come on in here. Yes? Hey, what's the idea of bringing that Dalmatian in here? <laughs> that's not a Dalmatian. That's Jerry Lewis. A dog with a last name? <laughs> no, no. You don't quite understand. I'm Jerry Lewis. I'm a fella. <laughs> you see, Mr. Editor... We live over at the Plaza Hotel, and we saw a murder. Oh, I know all about it. And I know all about you, too. Hey, Murphy, throw these two bums out of here. <laughs> okay, boss. Come on, kiddies. Dowdy's gonna kiss you goodbye. <laughs> well, here we are out in the street again. Fine thing. 
Murders committed. Nobody cares. I guess here after we'd better just mind our own business. Yeah, that's the best way. There they are, boys. There's the two nuts that are running loose. Grab them. Look, where'd Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis? We know, we know. We're taking you to a nice, quiet place in the country where you can work the whole thing out. Come on, Joe. Get the jackets on them. Hey, let me go, will well, you? What's the idea? I'm Dean Martin, the singer. Yeah? How do I know that? Sing him a couple of notes, Dean. Yeah, listen, I'll prove it. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind, Georgia on my mind. Georgia, Georgia, a song of you comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines. Other arms reach out to me. Other eyes smile tenderly. Still in peaceful dreams, I see the road leads back to you, Georgia. Georgia, no peace I find, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind, other arms reach out to me. Other eyes smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you Georgia Georgia no peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on Well, what do you say now, bud? Do you believe he's Dean Martin? You convinced now? No, you're not Dean Martin. You're Bing Crosby. <laughs> Come on, into the car, boys. 
But where are you taking us? Oh, don't worry. You'll like it there. You'll meet a lot of your old friends. Old friends? Who? Oh, like Napoleon. Napoleon? But he's been dead so long, he'll never remember me. (laughs) I'll introduce you. Now, come on, get in the car. Yeah, Jer. This guy's taking us for a ride, Dean. I've seen it a million times in the movies. They take us to a lonely road and leave us to die. We're lost. We wander around hopeless, starving, we're hungry. There's nothing to eat, and we finally start looking at each other like cannibals. And you come over to me and start feeling where the white meat is, and Dean. Why? Take big bites, don't let me suffer. Jerry. Okay, boys, here we are. Hey, Jerry, look at the sign on the cake. Dr. Heimer Sanitarium. Sanatorium. A sanitarium? A sanatorium? A, a serotanium? Oh. Why are they taking us here? We've always been sanitary. <laughs> Come on, boys, right across this patch of grass. Gee, wooden grass. <laughs> Just a minute, I'll open the door. Gee, it's just like a hospital. Look at this barred door with a sign on it. It says, don't open this door. Men inside, crazy as bedbugs. Pardon me, son. I know what the sign on our cell door says, but it's not true. We're not crazy. Would you do something to get us released? Gee, you sure sound all right to me. Don't you worry, mister. I'll I'll try and get you out of here. Oh, thank you, son. Thank you. Believe me, if you can do it, you'll have the eternal gratitude of all us bedbugs. I'm really getting nervous. Let's get out of here. Yeah, maybe we can sneak through this door. Maybe it leads to an exit. Well, welcome in, boys. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Sophie, what are you doing in a plate plate? Uh, Sophie! <laughs> Do it again. So how's the family? <laughs> Sophie, what are you doing in a place like this? Shh, quiet. In a place like this, I am a trustee here. I am in charge of the petty cash. Sophie, they trust you with their money? Yeah, and they think I'm crazy. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Now, now, how could I be crazy? Just look at me. I'm, I'm handsome. I'm, I'm suave. Curly hair. 940 miles tall. Four feet wide. 940 miles tall and four feet wide. Yeah, I was born on a train between New York and Chicago. (laughs) Oh, stop, Toby. We're in an awful jam. Dean and I saw a murder being committed, and we reported it to the police, and now here we are here. Oh, you're here, eh? You saw a murder, huh? Well, I'll tell you, you'll be all right. The only trouble with you is that you have got a new rosas. Yeah, I know. I traded in my old rosas. (laughs) 
you said I have neurosis, which is a sickness, see? But when you said neurosis, I said I traded in for my old roses. It's all a form of a gag. It's just funny because the white sounded alike, and <laughs> look how he's staring at me. <laughs> But tell us, what's the real reason that you're here? Well, I am, uh, I'm learning a business, you know. I, I open up a place of my own. <laughs> well, where will you get the customers? Why, all of my friends will come. Oh, uh, you haven't got any friends who belong in a place like this? Heavenly, I certainly do. Certainly do. I got... One of them is in the third cell down the hall now. Guy thinks he's an airplane. <laughs> hey, look, look, here he comes now. <laughs> well, what do you know? He changed his mind. <laughs> hey, look, fellas, I'll tell you, I'll see if I can get you. I'll see if I can get you out of here, but first... Let's see if we can convince the doctor that you are sane, eh? Come on. Oh, come in, gentlemen. Come in. Oh, you'll have to excuse me, but I feel terrible. Bad news, very bad news. I lost my uncle in the East. He stepped down to get into a Hudson. What about it? It was the Hudson River. <laughs> hey, Soapy, isn't this guy slightly nuts himself? Well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't be surprised. He's got a good reason. You know, once, once when he was operating on a patient, and after he sewed him up, found out that he left his telephone inside. Hey, that's terrible. That's what drove him out of his mind, eh? Oh, yeah, naturally. They were phoning him from Hollywood calling. <laughs> All right, now. We'll give you the word association test. Just say the first word that pops into your head. Ready now? Table. Girl. Carpet. Girl. Chair. Girl. This little schnook is really nuts. <laughs> he thinks he's Errol Flynn. <laughs> now, come on, Jay. Do it right or we'll never get out of here. All right, now, once more. Cat. Meow. Dog. <laughs> towel. <laughs> what was that? Cannon towel. <laughs> Association test is no good. Come here, I'm going to tap your head with this little hammer. First in front. Then in the back. Now in the front of the next. Oh, shucks, another single-headed fellow. <laughs> I'll leave you in here alone while I go get the head psychiatrist. Oh, now we're in for it, Jerry. I know how these psychiatrists work. They make you lie down on a couch and they cross-examine you. Well, I'll lie down on it. Oh, this is comfortable. So these guys just ask a bunch of questions, huh? Start talking, Jerry. What do I talk about? Tell me, did you ever have dreams as a child? No. You see, I was an incubator baby. <laughs> do you have dreams now? Yes. What do you dream about? Pressure cookers. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try another angle. How much is one and one? Two. How much is two and two? Let's go back to one and one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jerry, cut that out. Come on, I hear footsteps in the hall. Oh, the psychiatrist was busy at the meeting, but I, I told the board about you two and got a ruling on your case. Now, I don't want you to be hurt, but it's obvious that you two are not 
quite like us. <laughs> Come on, Doctor, what's the ruling? Get out of this asylum immediately, both of you. Get out? Yes, and don't you dare ever come around bothering us bedbugs again. <laughs> Ah, Jerry, our hotel room never looked so good before. But after what we've been through, the police and that sanitarium, anything would look good. Yeah, what a day. And all because we thought we saw a murder. Remember? I pulled up the shade to see if it was raining like this. And I happened to look across the court and... (laughs) What's the matter, Jerry? Look, a guy with a gun. He's repeating the murder for the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, wait. I'll call the police. No. No, that won't do any good. Look, he's... Jerry, we've got to get the police. Yeah, no. Wait a minute. (laughs) Jerry, what are you laughing at? Look, the victim just turned into a can of red-hot dog food. (laughs) Jerry, you're hysterical. No, I'm not, Dean. Don't you see? All this trouble was for nothing. There were no murders. All the time we've been just seeing a television show. Doggone those new 72-inch screens. Folks, see you next week, everybody. Martin Lewis Show, transcribed in Hollywood, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Charlie Isaacs and Jack Douglas. This has been another in the series of stellar comedy programs sent your way every day by the National Broadcasting Company. Always tune to NBC for the best in comedy, drama, music, news, adventure, and mystery. It's all yours for the listening on NBC. Screen Director's Playhouse has moved to Fridays in this same time period. Tune in Friday at this time and hear John Garfield in the Screen Director's Playhouse. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense Theater, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.